Okay, so in, in chapter 18, we saw an excellent description, really, of, of what hell will be like. Uh, Bildad explained to uh, he explained to Job the nature of perfect justice and and uh, what it looks like to suffer completely under the wrath of God. Um, we also saw that that um, Bildad was well, I mean he was right in the picturesque way that he described uh, God's wrath, but. Uh, you know, of course, we all know that he's absolutely wrong in thinking that every wicked man will suffer under that perfect wrath in this life. Uh, we know that it, it, it's coming, but um, it, it doesn't happen as such in this life. Um, but if you look around the world today, I mean, and back then as well, you'll see that wicked people look like they're prospering all over the place. Uh, you know, of course, we know that there will come a day when, you know, for perfect justice. But in in a fallen world in which we live, it's it's just not here yet. And um, you know, there may be moments when when God's justice falls on on sinners for their sin, and for you know, for certain, we know that God uses suffering sometimes to teach His children the path uh, of righteousness. But no one in this life is getting the perfect wrath that they deserve. Not yet, anyway. Um, Eve, you know, even even the most wicked sinner is is blessed blessed to breathe God's air and enjoy the warmth of the sun, the cool summer breeze. Um, you know, these might seem like small little pleasures, but but they're they're still blessings from God, grace. And we talked about that in the last last section and. Um, when perfect justice comes, though, there, there'll be no more of these blessings. There'll nothing but agony and separation from God. Um, so we can and should take a word of warning from Bildad's speech uh, in chapter 18. God's wrath and perfect justice is definitely coming, but you know, as we we showed last time, he's he's wrong in applying the this standard to Job. He's wrong in building his worldview around the idea of the wicked getting what they deserve in this life because God is actively withholding judgment until his purposes are accomplished. And then, and only then, will his perfect wrath uh, be released today. Even if, you know, uh, uh, God says that he, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, you know, and, and things like that. But n- none of those promises... Um, uh, excuse us from the sufferings of this life. He, you know, even the man who is the most blessed is going to lose loved ones. He's going to eventually get sick. He's going to, you know, have things happen in his life that that cause suffering. It's a it's a given. It's a fact. And, and even the man who is, you know, even as a man as wicked as he could possibly be. You know, I, I don't know who comes to mind. You know, when you think about wicked men, the word, name Hitler always comes up. But he, even Hitler enjoyed the the sunshine of the of the day. You know, or um, enjoyed a, a cool breeze, or a, you know, whatever. So even he was not in this life suffering under the perfect, uh, full wrath of God. Um, you know, it's it'll only be released when God's um, purposes in this in this fallen world are accomplished, and all has come to pass. Uh, till then, the world has fallen, and sinful man, you know, do what he will. But just imagine what Job is thinking through all that Bildad has told him. 
I mean, through all chapter 18, Bildad basically described hell to him. Um, he's pretty much describing the realities of what hell would be like, but he doesn't really understand all that. Um, he's thinking, you know, of course we talked about that. He's thinking that it, this happening now. Uh, but think about Job for a minute. From his point of view, I bet it sounds like exactly what Job is going through. I, I would bet that Job, listening to Bildad explain the wrath of God, Job would be thinking, yep, I'm there. You know, I, I am without light. I am without hope. I am inescapable. I mean, I'm in a place where I can't get away from it. And, you know, everything that Job pictured, I mean, uh, Bildad pictured for us about perfect wrath, you know, I could see Job applying that to himself going, well, he's talking about me. He's talking about what I'm going through. Bildad, uh, he described how God separates himself from the wicked. And Job pretty much feels like God is punishing him. So I can imagine that Bildad's words in chapter 18 make a lot of sense to Job. In fact, I think they strike a nerve with him. Because uh, in chapter 19, Job is going to uh, he's gonna go on another rant about how they are mistreating him. And he is even going to question God's sense of justice. Um, in chapter 19, Job is coming very close to disparaging God with his words here. Um, but the one thing that remains constant is that Job's only hope is in God's promises. And he still holds fast to the idea that his sins are covered by the sacrifices that he's made. The, the, what God has told him by grace through faith. He still maintains his innocence. And he still holds fast to the fact that he has a Redeemer in heaven that's going to bring he and God together again. Uh, so uh, the, it's kind of an overview of what's uh, going on in chapter 19. But the first thing is we see in chapter 19 is that Job rebukes his friends, claiming that they themselves are wronging Job. They are adding uh, to uh, his misfortune with their words. In verse 1 it says, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? Uh, these ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? According to Job, they're breaking him into pieces uh, with the advice they're giving him. They are uh, claiming that God is is working in a way that God is not working. And they are counseling him to act in a way that is more religious than godly. They want him to... You know, just start confessing something, anything, you know, just just get something out on the table so so you can get God's blessings back. Uh, but Job doesn't he, he doesn't just want God's blessings. He wants his relationship with God back. He wants to understand why this is happening and what is happening to him. Uh, but his friends are constantly bombarding him with um, accusations because their world system, it, it just doesn't include Grace, you know, it, it can't make room for the fact that um, uh, innocent people sometimes do suffer and wicked people uh, don't suffer. In Bildad's worldview, there could be no Christ on the cross because God would never allow an innocent man to suffer for anything. But that's the whole foundation uh, that Scripture is built on: is that uh, an innocent will suffer, an innocent will suffer for the sins. Uh, of the world. 
the only thing Bildad and his religious system, as well as Eliphaz and Zophar, understand is works. If you if you if you perform, you are repaid. You are you know paid wages for how you perform. The problem with that is that if that's so and that's all there is. Uh, we have a real problem because Paul says in Romans that there's no one who's performed adequate enough to receive God's blessing or God's favor. In their system, God only inflicts suffering on the wicked. Uh, so they're automatically assuming that Job is wicked. And he must be in their world system. Uh, Job says they have reproached him ten times. He says they... They should be ashamed of what they've said and done to him. They came to him in the in the first place. It wasn't he that came. It was them that came. They came to comfort him. And they came to help him get through all this suffering. But what they end up doing is just adding to his suffering. Now they're arguing with each other. They, they aren't helping him. They aren't, they aren't helping at all. In fact, they're wronging him. They're adding to his misery and his suffering. But here is where it's going to get... It's going to get interesting right here because we all know that Job's friends don't have a clue and and they're giving him wrong advice and Job knows this as well. But here in the next section, Job is going to charge God with wrongdoing as well. In verse 4 he says, And if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me. Know then that God has put me in the wrong, and he has closed his net about me. Now, notice what Job says first. He knows that he is not sinless. Uh, we, we, we said this over and over throughout our, our walking through this book. He is not sinless, but he is covered under the covenant of sacrifice. So uh, here in verse 4, he tells his friends that even if he has erred, he alone is responsible for it. He is not talking about the kind of unrepentant, forgiven sin that, that his friends are charging, charging him with. Uh, he's speaking of an inadvertent transgression that he may have done. He says, even if I have done something that I don't realize... He said, the fault is in myself. He said that, you know, even if I were guilty, hypothetically speaking, their condemnation of him is unwarranted. Uh, even if God is punishing him for his sin, something that we know is not true, but even if he is, his friends should be treating him with love and compassion as one who is suffering. Uh, as his friends, they should be comforting him in his suffering rather than simply turning the screws on him. In in the New Testament, you see it in, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians uh, 6, 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. As uh, ministers for God, as the the children of God, uh, when I I, I say that, I'm talking about all believers, everyone uh, is a minister. We're to comfort those who are hurting and minister to those who are suffering, regardless if they are experiencing God's judgment or not. Now, let me make that let me make that clear. Let me say that again. Even if God is raining down judgment on someone, we are not to come behind and be God's spokesman and tell them, well, you you know, this is what you deserve and this is what we are not to pass judgment 
uh, other than, you know, we can recognize and discern and, you know, we make decisions. To, someone says that uh, we aren't to judge anything, you know, in, in the sense of making a decision about something. That person just doesn't have a firm grasp of reality because we judge things every day. I mean, we, we're discriminatory every day about decisions that we make and, and judgment has to go into that. Discernment has to go into that. But what I'm talking about here is if God has, uh, for some reason, if a person is not a believer and God is punishing him for his sin and he's reaping the consequences uh, from God of his sin, uh, we are to come alongside them and minister to them with the gospel. And, and for a believer, uh, we know if, if this person truly is a believer in Christ, then his sins have been covered. His sins are, are passed away. Therefore, the only thing that he gets from God is uh, discipline and chastisement in order to bring him back into uh, the the way of righteousness. So uh, we should never, in, in any situation, we should never add condemnation to where God uh, is working in someone's life that way because, first of all, we, we have no idea what's going on in the person's life. And second, we're called, even if it is a believer, even if he is caught in a fault, even if it is his fault, we're called to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And and there's a lot, you know, that's that's really simplifying the issue. There's a lot of things that go in that, that, you know, you have to look at the circumstances and judge what's going on and, you know, all that. And I understand that. So this is not a general uh, truth that we should blanket over everything. Uh, but when I say that, um, you know, I, what I mean is that we are to be the salt and the light of the earth. We are to be the hands and feet of Christ. Uh, we are to discern good from evil. I'm not saying we should never say that uh, a certain behavior or a certain thing is evil. That's exactly what we should do. Uh, but what I am saying is those that are suffering, regardless for the reason, whether they're under the judgment of God or whether God is disciplining them or, you know, no matter what God's doing in it, we are called... Uh, in the same instance, in the same way to be ministers to them. For the non-believer, we're called to give them the gospel and the only true source of hope. For the believer, we're called to, uh, you know, we're called to uh, to uh, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So um, you can see what what Job is is telling him. Jesus made, I mean, Jesus made it clear that all suffering is not God's direct. Judgment for sin in Luke thirteen three, um, you know he talks about uh, people came to him and said, Jesus, why did why did uh, this tower fall on these men? And Jesus says, Do you think they were worse sinners than you? He says, No, but if uh, you know, unless you, you you all unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then they asked him, you know, well why is, why did God allow Pilate? to kill these men who are making sacrifices. And Jesus told them the exact same thing. He says, do you think that they were more sinful than you are? He says, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Uh, so he was implying, Jesus was there, that the, they weren't being punished for their sin. They were suffering in the fallen world. And, and we all live in this world in the same way. The same thing in John chapter 9. Uh, the blind man, the man born blind, the disciples came and said, you know, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. Uh, this man was born blind so that the glory of God would be revealed. Uh, and so, 
It's not our business to tell people why they suffer. It's our business to comfort them in suffering and to point them to Christ, the only one who knows why they're suffering and the only one who can ease their suffering. Um, it's our business to proclaim and wait for that day when there won't be any more suffering or pain. Uh, and it's our job to make sure we're ready and tell others how to be how to be ready. Uh, Job says in verse 5 through 6 that it doesn't really matter that they are magnifying themselves against him. His friends are gloating over him, telling him that uh, the wretched, you know, the wretched people suffer, and implying that they are somehow better than Job because, uh, uh, you know, they're not going through the kind of suffering he is. Uh, he wants to, uh, he wants to make sure they know that God has put him in the wrong. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't believe his life has warranted the judgment he is undergoing. But but God is the one who is in control, and God has seen fit to allow suffering to come upon him. Uh, he says God has closed his net about Job. Uh, so what he's saying is, even if they're right, and they most certainly are not, but even if they are right. God has already condemned Job. He doesn't need any further condemnation from his friends. Uh, they're just adding insult to injury rather than trying to help. Now, after saying this, Job is going to turn his attention uh, back to God. He's going to cry out to him. In verses 7 through 12, Job is going to speak as though he believes that he has really been separated from God. Um, these are very instructive passages. Uh, and of course, we know that he hasn't. But the longer Job goes on through this suffering and the more condemnation he receives from his friends, he doesn't have anything but negative things in his ear. They're just coming and telling him all these things. And, and he has negative things coming from his heart. So it's hard for him to trust in the goodness and forgiveness of God. Uh, um, it's the same for us. When we go through suffering in this fallen world, everything we think, everything the world tells us is going to try to convince us um, you know that God's not trustworthy and, and and that he's not out for our good he's not working all things for our good it's Satan's oldest trick I mean his very first lie was telling Eve you know did God really say that you know God's lying to you you won't really die if you eat this fruit God just didn't want you to be like him he didn't want you to be happy you know that's the oldest lie in the book you know the first the first real trouble that man gets in in Genesis uh, chapter 3 uh, but in verse 7, Job complains that God does not answer him when he calls. He says, Behold, I cry violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He's calling out to God, and his friends, uh, you know, he's calling out to his friends as well as God, but no one is answering him. You know, uh, he, he doesn't understand what's going on. He's assuming that God's left him and forsaken him. Uh, you know, and even though he's fighting to believe in God, he's having a hard time when it feels like he isn't getting an answer. He's calling and calling, but it just doesn't seem like anyone's listening. What would you tell Job, knowing what you know? If you and I are the readers of the book, we know the whole story already. Uh, we were given the the peephole into the divine counsel of God at the beginning of the book. We know what's going on. We know that God hasn't left him, and we know that God is not punishing him. We know that God is, is testing Job, and he's doing all this for Job's good. But in the midst of all this suffering, it's a battle for Job to hold on to his faith. Well, faith, what would you tell him? 
what would be your advice as someone who has the whole story and someone who knows what Job's going through? What would you say to him? Uh, would you say, you know, just hold on, Job, just hold on. It's going to be okay. It's going to be better. You know, God still loves you. God's still looking out for you. You know, yeah. The things that you would say to Job and things that you know are true because you know what's going on in Job's life. The things that you would say to Job, we're afraid to say to people who are suffering. You know why? Because they sound like just little religious, you know, little cliches. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. God's looking out for you. He's going to, he's got all, you're good at heart. Just uh, hold on. Just, you know, hang in there and it's going to be it's going to be okay you know most of the time you know that would be the advice that we would need to give job that would be the good advice that would be uh in concert with what's going on in, in god's mind and with his purposes because we know that god is with job but in the same vein, when you walk into a hospital room and your loved one's there and you go to spouting those things off, don't they sound like just cliches? Don't they sound like, you know, just religious talk that we're supposed to say? You know, many times when I go into, you know, I may have 30 people to see in the hospital on a, on a particular day and, and I'll go from room to room. And you pray with 30 people in a row, what happens is your prayers for them, because they're all sick, you know, your prayers for them start sounding the same, you know, especially if there's no uh, really mitigating circumstances going on with the person, you know, if they're just sick in the hospital and they need to hurry up and get well and get home, that's all they want, that's all they care about. Your prayers start sounding the same when you do them over and over and over again, you know, so I find myself after about the fifth or sixth person, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm walking down the hall to the next room thinking, I just prayed the exact same prayer for five people. Did I really mean that prayer? Did I really mean? And so what we think, I mean, yeah, I really did mean those prayers. And and to say to someone, you know what, just hang on. God is God is God got this and he's going to he's going to vindicate you in the end and you're going to be fine and it's all working for your good. Those things sound like the things that any religious person can spout off, but those are things that we believe because they're the truth that scripture reveals. That is exactly the advice that Job needs here. Um Job believes that uh that God is God is the one that's cutting off his way of escape. In verse 8 he says, He has walled up my way so I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. According to Job, God is walling him up in the suffering. And there isn't any escape from, from God's plan, and there's no light in his future. The only thing left for Job is darkness. He, he thinks God has taken all his hope away. Verse 9 and 10 say, He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. Job, man, he no longer has anything. He doesn't have his reputation. He doesn't have his business. He, his crown and his glory are gone. And it seems like God has broken him down on every side. Uh, there isn't a single part of his life that hasn't been untouched. Uh, by suffering. He is just a shadow of his former self. His his only hope was that God would hear his cry and come to his rescue. But so far, God isn't answering him. Or so Job thinks. There's nothing but the constant drumbeat of his friend's accusations ringing 
in his ears over and over again. They're saying the same thing. As far as he's concerned, as far as Job's concerned, uh, God has just yanked away all hope from him, just like one would pull up a tree, uh, yank it out by the roots. Uh, from what Job's saying here, it just it seems that he's starting to believe that God is treating him as an enemy. He is experiencing everything that God's enemies are supposed to experience. He, he's been, you know, completely deserted by the Almighty. Or, you know, that's what he's thinking. That's what he's supposing. Verse 11 says, He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. It's as if, uh, I mean, it's as if God just, he just won't let anything good happen. Uh, Job simply doesn't have the information that we have. He doesn't know what's going on. He has to take God's word on faith in the face of all these awful circumstances. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine how hard it is for him. Uh, If I was in his position... Man, it would be hard for me. Not only does he believe that God has abandoned him, uh, but it's also as if God has separated him from from all other men, and and he's you know God singled him out for some special punishment, as if he is you know he's worse than all the other sinners in the earth. You know these things are going through Job's mind because he's looking up at these guys that are misrepresenting God, and they're not suffering, they're not going through anything. Uh, Verse 13 says, He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. Um, Because of of his skin condition and the disease he now has, uh, no one will come near him. I mean, he's unclean and outcast because of of what's happened to him. His his relatives no longer support him. They've failed him, and his closest friends have forgotten him. All his suffering... I mean, it hadn't just left him without prosperity and health. It's, it's left him utterly alone. Uh, you ever felt this way when you you go through suffering or trial? I mean, we know that we know that Job isn't alone, and we know that he isn't separated from God. But in a sense, he's separated from other men. I mean, they have all abandoned him, and and they, you know, left him to his own fate. He has, <clears throat> he's even become lower in their eyes than than servants are. Verse 15, um, it says, The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. You see what I mean? Even his closest loved ones have forsaken him. Verse 17 says, My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. Now, maybe Job's physical suffering has has changed him so much that his wife no longer desires to be with him, or, or you know, more likely the shame and hurt of of his, this entire episode has just distanced her uh, from him. You know, she told him earlier to curse God and die, and he held fast to his integrity. Uh, but he says here that even the young children speak against him because he's an outcast. I mean, he's stricken with horrible skin disease. Uh, imagine what this guy would have looked like. I mean, he would almost be like a monster. I mean, his intimate friends and everyone he loved has turned against him. It's, I mean, it's easy to have friends when everything's going great. But in Job's state, 
you know, no one's in for the long haul. So here are these three friends giving him counsel when everyone else has deserted him. They are the only ones giving him any counsel at all. And what they're offering him isn't good advice, but still, you know, they're the only ones there. So Job is being bombarded by all this advice to just repent. You know, even if you don't know what you're repenting for, just go through the motions so God will take away the sin or take away this, you know, suffering from you. Uh, but Job refuses to take his friend's advice. Instead, he just asks his friends to have a little mercy on him. And that's kind of the point of what we've been talking about so far. It's like we can't we can't judge what's going on in the counsel of God with a person. All we can do is come alongside and comfort them in their suffering. In verse 20, he says, My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Um, I have have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? And, and what he's calling them to do is just to comfort him. Um, to uh, And there's nothing they can do. They can't fix what's going on. They can't bring his children back. They can't relieve him of his skin disease. They can't restore all he's lost. But what they can do is come alongside and suffer with him. They can be there as friends have grown with him and, and help bear his burdens. And, and those are the things that, uh, that as believers were called to do for those that suffer. Um, I've seen firsthand that in many, many occasions you, you want to do something so bad. I mean, you want to fix the situation. You want to help in any way you can. But... Um, there's just nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do but stand there and just be helpless with them and just be there with them. I've I've often talked to the <clears throat> other chaplains about <clears throat> that awkward silence. You know, we talk about that awkward silence like um, just last week, um, uh, a family in the, in the hallway at the hospital, uh, their loved one was receiving CPR, you know, right as... Uh, as we were talking to them, they were crying. They didn't know what was going to happen. You know, they, they had called the code and the team had rushed in there and they were doing chest compressions and all these things. They're trying desperately to bring this, this person back. Um, and, and it's, you know, goes on for 10 minutes and 20 minutes and 40 minutes. And then after a while, you know, you start to lose hope. And this family's standing in the, in the, in the hallway of the hospital and they're looking at you like, well, aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to, you know, and, you know, you give them what you can. You say, you know, what what you think is right. You uh, empathize with them, show them compassion, you know, pray with them, do those things. But, you know, there's there are moments when there's just nothing to be said. You know, just just I'm just here. I mean, I'm just here for you. You know, I'm here for, you know, to catch you if you, you're going to fall out on the floor. I'm here to bring you tissues i'm here to bring you water i'm here to make sure that you're comfortable in going through your suffering i'm you know there there are i mean there's just sometimes that you just have to be there and that's it and that's what job is asking his friends he says won't you just have mercy on me won't you just shut your mouth and just quit telling me what i'm supposed to be doing and how god is all this and that and and, and just just get show me some mercy uh, by just being here with me and comforting with me. When when the friends first arrived, the greatest thing that they did was they sat seven days with Job and didn't say a word. Just sat and, and suffered with him and comforted with him. And is when they opened their mouths is when they started to get in trouble. When they started to 
uh, be in the wrong. And at the at, toward the end of the book, we'll see that God is going to chastise these friends for their wrong and crooked advice that they gave Job because they misrepresented who God was. And so he's going to he's going to address them and tell them. Uh, that they've they've sinned by uh, by what they did. So it's not just you know me thinking they're doing wrong or Job thinking they're doing wrong. We're told in the end that they were doing wrong. And so uh, it's just uh, here you can see Job. I mean he's just really getting to the end of his rope. I mean he's coming to grips with all of this. And you know it's it's easy. You know I've often said you know. Uh, I can do anything for a little while. You know, I can put up with anything for a little while. But when there's no hope and it just goes on and on and on and on, I mean, you can see him starting to break down. You can see him starting to wear out. You can see him starting to be frustrated and exacerbated and, and wonder about why these things are going on and what's happening and, you know, where is God? Why won't he answer me? And, you know, you can just see all these things. And so um, what I want you to see is that, um, you know, Scripture is not, sometimes it shows us the ugliness of who we are and it shows us the ugliness of of things that we go through uh, but the one thing that we know that that job doesn't yet know and his friends don't know is that god is for job and god is working for job's good um, and if you walked up on job and not not didn't know the story didn't know what god was doing you would look at job and you would think wow i mean this guy's a miserable guy. This guy's, you know, he's pitiful. Uh, and if you were a religious man like these friends were, you would think, wow, God's really got it in for this guy. But we know that that's not true. We know that Job just needs to hold on. And the truth is going to be revealed. And he's going he's gonna to have his hope restored at the end.